The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. He didn't have an addictive personality. He got fucked up in that shit when he started hearing shit about Tammy, like fucking other wrestlers. We're back another week. Kayfabe stories you're not supposed to hear. I realized uh, as I was going along, there was some bunch of stuff that came up that I haven't followed up on. I asked you guys to send me some ideas of what you're listening to. I have a hard time falling asleep often, and uh, I try to find stuff. I you know, but there are no podcasts boring enough that I, that are on my radar that. That would put me out. Maybe just find something like religious, maybe. Just endless preaching that God is good to me, can heal me, can help me. That'd probably put me in a good place to fall asleep, keep me optimistic. You know, I don't know if those podcasts exist. Used to be able to listen to local radio. There's no such thing as local radio anymore, everything's part of a network. You can go on like radio.com and browse to various um, cities, right? So like say you put in Birmingham, right? And you, you, you want to listen to the Birmingham sports radio station. Well, you click it and what you're listening to is a CBS radio national broadcast that's being, you know, broadcast in New York and Philly and Birmingham and Miami. There's nothing local about it. There's no travel in my mind. You can't pretend I'm laying in a hotel in Birmingham listening to a sports radio station anymore because it's all fucking network. Seem three companies own everything now, it seems. So you guys weighed in a little bit, and there were some suggestions um, other than... I, I, you know, I was stuck in a... looking at listening to old Stern bits and uh, these bizarre ASMR videos, shoe shine videos. And then I, I, you know what? I found one. I got to tell you about this. I got to tell you about this one. This, it was, oh, I don't know how the hell I came across it. I guess in my history, they somehow knew that this would interest me. Indian head massage. You got to find these guys. Cosmic Indian head massages. I have to have one of these, first of all, at some point. That's got to happen. But they they do exactly what you'd imagine. They're giving a head massage. Got to be careful with that right there. They're giving a head massage. There's water involved. There's vigorous rubbing of, of the person's head involved. There's mystical arm gestures pulling from from above. Pulling spirits or, or, or pixie dust down. Maybe curry, maybe cumin. I don't know. Probably not pixie dust in India. Doesn't look like it was soap. They look very dirty, the two individuals doing this. I got to tell you that. The hair looks a little oily. But they're in this ramshackle shop. The door is a curtain, basically. It's not, it might even be a bed sheet. 
over the opening. So the sounds of the traffic and just death and everything that goes on in the streets. The, the, you can almost smell the city that they're in. So you got to check that out. You got to find that. So that and then so then some of you started writing. I asked you what you were listening to. Somebody suggested um, Art Bell's Coast to Coast. And you know what? I can't believe I didn't mention this on air, but I've done that. I've listened to that. I used to listen to that when it was when it was on. When it was Art Bell, he's dead now, but they would do like real kooky, like out there shit, like the Area 51 stuff. And, you know, this guy, you know, had his dick cut off by an alien and he's going to call in and all this, this shit, um, which is in, in, I guess, I don't know why, but it does serve the purpose. It does make me, it makes me weary to listen to this and um you know why because it's involved it's very involved discussion so you know at a certain point my mind just turns off and i'll fall asleep so i have done the art bell route the coast to coast route george nori i think is the host now or was the host after after bell but um but the, the reason i can't do that one there is a cacophonous explosion sound effect that they used to go to commercial like as a bumper and it wakes me up it's jarring i don't know why they do it i don't even know what the significance is i guess the they're out there where they used to test the nuclear bombs i guess because i know art bell lived in the desert so maybe the nuclear testing site area 51 the the explosion right i'm figuring this out as a stream of consciousness right now so okay i get it it was the nuclear testing site if anyone saw the the reboot of Twin Peaks, it's apparently where Bob came from. The evils of the nuclear bomb testing. I want to grab David Lynch and shake him for, for this reboot. I was so excited. It could have been so special. I drove around like a dickwad playing the, 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 the soundtrack for a week before. My wife and I were very excited that Twin Peaks was coming back. We saw all these signs... Like in the week it was coming back, I was driving uh, somewhere and beside me, I think for the first time ever, was a log truck, a truck with logs, a logging truck, hauling tree trunks, like something you'd see in Twin Peaks in the great Northwest. I'm in New Jersey. Who the hell's logging, uh, hauling logs? I was like, oh, look at that. How weird is that? So excited. I thought I was getting some of that old flavor. And I got a steaming plate of dog shit. Listen, I'm a film school geek. I sat through Unshane Andalou and all the other ones. It's not art. At a certain point, it's just, it's you, you can't make excuses at a certain point. Some, some part of your fucking thing has to be on earth. It's got to be on earth. And it wasn't. Tangent. On Twin Peaks. Um, another suggestion uh, that came in uh, from folks uh, was... What was it here? I'll find it. 
Somebody suggested uh, oh the old shoot videos yeah well, I I have done that I did listen I used that's how I started the discussion that I used to listen to the shoots before I'd even start started kayfabe commentaries I used to listen to the old shoots to put me out but uh, Art Bell was a good one you know the other thing too I wanted to follow up with we had Vince Russo on a couple of weeks ago two parter because it was long I don't get. The I, I get people saying, oh, I don't dig this person, whoever it is, right? This guy's a wrestling writer. He was a wrestling writer. I don't get the vitriol. I don't understand the amount of passion, the amount of hate. I, You know, for, for a president, maybe, yeah, for a dictator, a, a, an oppressive dictator. I get people saying, I will absolutely never watch. Anything he's on, because I remember what he did to my homeland. I remember what he did to my to my aunt and my uncle and my grandparents. I remember this. I get it. That's a, no question. I was a wrestling writer. Vince Russo wrote fucking wrestling. Yeah, he's got a New York accent. He says bro a lot. I don't get the op the the. It's almost an allergy people have to Russo it's remarkable I just don't get listen you're free to listen to whatever you want you could have skipped those two episodes but I don't I just don't get the level for anyone involved in wrestling but God bless him because you know what he's done what nobody can do nobody on TV right now in WWE or AEW or anywhere else is hated Nobody has heat. They have ooh, they have ah. They have, oh my God, he's going to fall. Oh my God, he's going to land on his head. Oh, he's going to put his head in the lion's mouth. It's a circus now. Oh, he's going to put his head in the lion's mouth. It's Cirque du Soleil. Takes a lot of talent to do it, no question. But, But wrestling was the masquerade of good versus evil. It's dead. There's no good versus evil. Nobody's hated. Everybody's on Twitter talking about their character. Except Vince Russo. So if you hate him and you texted me, you, 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 you tweeted me, you retweeted and said, listen, I just can't stomach him. This guy's not for me. I say, Well done, Vince Russo. All right, at this time where horror movies based on books are coming back, It, the popularity of It, remake of Pet Cemetery, all these Netflix series based on thrillers, great new supernatural horror novel out there called Transfer by the brilliant author of fiction and nonfiction, Sean Oliver, yours truly, Transfer. The book reads discovery called an exceptionally thrilling story that builds up with a solid pace and keeps the reader immersed and emotionally invested. A four-year-old has just died in the classroom. A shocked community 
turns its attention to the troubled urban school for answers, and there seem to be none coming. School guidance counselor Lane Waterman, busy handling the school's grief, notices students had been transferring out of PS12 at an unusually high rate for months. Their destinations seem random, the reasons unknown. What is first suspected to be a bureaucratic conspiracy eventually reveals itself to be a far deeper and darker threat crawling through the community. Her investigation into the children's circumstances takes her far off course beyond school and into the belly of a deadly secret hidden in a forgotten urban wasteland. Can Lane put the lid on a spreading menace before the secret gets out? Turns out she's got some secrets of her own. The supernatural horror thriller will keep you guessing until the end. Step inside now. Transfer. A supernatural horror novel by Sean Oliver. Available at Amazon, on Kindle, on paperback. It's Transfer. So I'm here with... uh not just a Candido, but someone who was instrumental in one of the ribs we played at Kayfabe Commentaries on camera, as a matter of fact, on uh, Balls Mahoney, where we had him go on the Ouija board and uh, one of Chris Candido's jackets, a kiss, a leather kiss army jacket, which I f- fucking sweated from the minute I saw it. Uh, appeared under his chair, and uh, truth be told, everybody, I don't know if I revealed, I did reveal it in my book, but um, the reason that happened is on the phone with me right now, Johnny Candido, brother of uh, Chris Candido. You guys were beyond close. You guys were beyond close. Oh, my God, he was the best. Yeah, he was the the greatest older brother, you know, just growing up and growing up with him, he was like a, you know, he, he was a superstar. You know, as, as I was mentioning before, me and my buddy are going to be, we're working on being stand-up comedians. We're going to start a podcast, then we're going to go out and try it out, you know, try being comedians out. And one joke I want to tell is about bringing bullies back. Like, because, you know, now it's like cyberbullying, but back in the day, there was real bullies. Yeah. And across the street from my house was a basketball court. I was about seven, and I was shooting hoops by myself. We live right by the beach. I was, I was sunburnt. I'm shooting hoops, shooting hoops, and this car full of teenagers drives by and they yell fat boy fat shit they, they start yelling at me were they guidos were they were they were they spring lake guidos no I, no they weren't i i don't know where the, they, they weren't guidos either were locals from i i don't know but was they it were, was danny doring in the car somebody looked like that yeah <laughs> there, there was like four dudes like that and uh so i i, I fucking gave him the middle finger and these motherfuckers turned their car around came out Threw me on the ground. I remember I was sunburned. They started smacking me on the back, fucking bouncing the basketball off my fucking head, kicking the shit out of me. And I was like, I'm going to go get my big brother to kick your ass. And they're like, oh, good. Go get your fucking brother. So I walk home, which is half a block away. I'm like, go, Cook. That's what I used to call him because that's what was his nickname around the house. I'm like, Cook, these guys just beat the shit out of me. He goes, where are they? I'm like, they're at the St. Catherine's Playground. He was 17, but he looked like he was a... 25-year-old competition-ready bodybuilder, you know, and uh, we jumped into Monte Carlo, speed over half a block away. He jumps out of the car, jumps the fence, runs out, goes boom, 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 knocks three of them out with three punches, and then one just goes running, like, all the way through the field, and I finally run up and I catch my brother. He's got this guy by the throat against the wall, and he's beating his head against the wall, and, uh, and then, you know, so he sufficiently kicked the shit out of everyone. And then, uh, you know, when we came back, 
the other guys were gone or whatever. But that kind of just proves my point because yeah. you know, everybody everybody learned a lesson that day. I learned don't flip off <laughs> older guys, and they learned not to beat the shit out of seven-year-olds, you know? So everybody kind of got their comeuppance. Johnny, but, the, the jacket that we used, uh, Chris's jacket I, that we showed. I, got it, I, I actually got it back. I, I was really fucking stoked about that. Where did it go? What do you mean you got it back? We uh, fucking gimmick had it. Uh, Tammy had it, and uh, then it ended up at Damien Darling's house. Gimmick. He called me up. He's like, "Dude, I have this jacket, and I, you know, I just feel like it means something to you." And wow. I was like, "Dude, absolutely." My brother wore that everywhere, and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna come bring it over to you." I'm like, "Oh, dude, thanks so much." So I got the jacket back, but. Yeah, that, that was definitely instrumental in one of those pranks. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, though? What was crazy? I don't even know if you realized it, Johnny, but balls went into the pocket, and there was a um, a flyer from a wrestling seminar or, like, a training that Ricky Steamboat was g- giving. Yeah. And balls w- yeah. went to that with him. Yeah. Fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, he was, like, using me for, like, a test dummy. So, like, you know, we were doing, like, like uh, up-and-over drills, you know, drop-down leapfrog kind of drills. Yeah, that's nuts, man. Um, but, uh, tell me about, uh, people may not know, like, the, the, the Balls Mahoney and, and Candido brothers story. That goes back to when you guys were what? Well, my, like, so my brother was 10 years older than me. So, you know, he was, when he was in high school, I was still in elementary school. But I remember John Balls. Because, you know, he used to uh, deliver pizzas, he'd be around all the time. And uh, so they started out being friends. They were, we're Spring Lake, right? And he was in Spring Lake Heights. And my brother saw him, or he saw my brother wearing a Roddy Roddy Piper shirt. And then they started talking about wrestling. And then, of course, my brother, who our grandfather's Chuck Richards, had already been around the business and would just convince anyone to get into the business. He just loved wrestling so much. Mm. So that's how the two of them started there started their friendship and they started actually running shows at this place in Spring Lake called Maruchi Park and my brother actually like had to go before a town council this is like a very like like ritzy town my brother got like a little suit and tie and a jacket went with my mom and he like petitioned to have wrestling shows at Maruchi Park and uh, they did and they brought in like Bam Bam Bigelow they brought in you know a bunch of people to wrestle at Maruchi Park and they had they had a ring they got from the Monster Factory, and uh, and people would come like after the beach. They they start the show at like five or six, and after the beach, people would come and watch them wrestle at, at Mystery Park. So that's their uh, that's how they started being friends. And then throughout the years, I you know me and John became like you know really tight. And yeah, I have some very very funny stories about John. But, yes. Yeah, we, uh, so he know, basically we grew. He like really, grew up in your house, really practically. Fun. Like, all of us. Yeah, it, it, it was just great. You know. Up, and, and John has never changed. It was hilarious because I like if you look at pictures, I have pictures from you know when they used to wrestle in Ruchi Park. My brother looks like a normal fourteen-year-old. Balls at fourteen looked like he looked at thirty-five. <laughs> he already had like a fucking chest hair and a fucking beard, and yeah, it was just it was hilarious, man. Yeah, he 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 had consistently prematurely aged. He was about fifteen years ahead of whatever age he was. I think he was like forty-two or something when he died, maybe forty-four or something, and and looked legit about sixty-nine. Yeah, I I know that that was terrible. That was uh, that was fucked up because the whole fucked up thing about that about balls and Axel was I talked to them within like six hours of them dying, each of them, 
because Balls, he called me, he called me the, the night before he died. And, you know, we had a long talk about a bunch of shit. And then a friend of mine who lives on his block the next morning, I don't know if it was the next morning or that night, called me. He's like, dude, he's like, what's going on? There's cops, there's cop cars and ambulances all around Balls' house. So I called his phone and uh, his mom picked up. She's like, Johnny, John's on the ground. He's on the ground. He's dead. He's dead. I'm like, no, no. And, uh, when you heard the report about the ambulances being on his block, like, did you, did you just know in a way, like, yeah, you knew what I was, did. yeah. I, I, well, the night of the day before he called me, he's like, yo, JC, you got any opiates? And I was like, I'm like, I really don't fuck with that anymore, bro. I'm like, maybe I have some, like, Suboxone or something. Tax. He's like, I don't want that. I want, I, I need something real. Like, I, I'm fucking sick over here. And I'm like, well, I'd be willing to bring you to that. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, all right, it's fine. I'll just talk to you tomorrow. And I'm like, all right. And let me just preface this by saying that we had a fight maybe a week before because uh, I don't want to say anybody's names, but I talked to people in the office. And I was like, you know, John needs to go to rehab. And they were like, absolutely. We got a bed ready for him. You know, you just... We can't take him by force, or you can't take him by force. He has to willingly want to come. So they would have put him in. The WWE would have put him in. Yes. So I fucking went to his house, and I was like, I was like, bro, I'm like, you have a kid now. Um, I, I kind of went behind your back and made, you know, I, I, I talked to people, and you have a bed ready in rehab when you're ready. He's like, I will never, ever go to rehab. Never, ever, ever. How could you do this to me? How could you go over my head? Blah, blah, blah. Fucking yelling at me about it. He's like, bro, what the fuck? Like, don't you want to? You know, get fucking better, clean yourself up. He's like, no, I'm hurt, I can't, you don't understand. You know, gave me the whole spiel. And uh, so, yeah, he just, you know, he didn't want to go. I mean, I, I feel bad fucking saying it, but, you know, it's the truth. Right. Like, now, I, when I, he... I talked to a bunch of people to get through, and I, I figured he would want to go, but a part of me knew he just wouldn't, he wouldn't go. Now, he was a stubborn guy. I'm sorry, what did you say? He was stubborn. Oh, stubborn as a motherfucker because he's spoiled. He was a, a spoiled kid. His mom spoiled the fuck out of him. You know, the same way she spoils his son. But, you know, she spoiled him. And anything. He was just, Paul's just a big, a big baby. He just got whatever the fuck he wanted. And if he didn't, he'd piss and moan and cry. And, but, it, you know, in a funny way. I don't mean to be like a dick about it. But, you know, I mean, we'd make fun of him like a motherfucker because he was just so stubborn and so outlandish with all of his, uh, just his personality was yeah. larger than life. You know, Johnny, your show. he was just yeah. No, he was a, he was a, he was a good guy though. He had a good heart. I mean, he really oh, he was did. a soft I just guy. Didn't know when to turn it down a notch. You know what I mean? Yeah. When he oh. called you about the opiates, was he was he getting prescriptions? Was he was he getting pills? Yeah. Had it graduated to syringes? Yes. Oh well, he, it was both. He was he was getting his normal he was getting his normal prescriptions. He was getting ten milligram Norco's to take. Uh, I don't know. I think like he was supposed to take ten milligrams like six times a day of Norco's, and he was getting Roxy thirties uh, like twice a day for breakthrough pain, as you call it. And then, uh, but then he would uh, you know use too much and run out and and then go through other channels to get other things. You know. Were people in his home seeing this? Uh, I feel like 
I feel like it would be hard to ignore it. Let me just say like this. So, me and my brother, we took gimmicks at a certain time, and balls would, like, we'd go to John's house just to fuck with him or see what was going on or whatever, and he would be in his kitchen cutting up lines of Norco and fucking snorting them or cutting up lines of, like, Roxy 30 and snorting them, and his mom would just be like, John, what are you doing? He's like, it's my medication. I'll take it however I want. He would just be snorting lines in front of people. And and when I helped clean out his house after it passed away, I, I you know, I definitely found a, a bunch of a bunch of syringes. Oh God. So yeah, you know, I, I was I, he know. with his mom? Was he with his mom when he passed? In her house, I mean. Yeah. Yep. Oh. She was. So it's uh yeah it's it's sad, man. Like I I, I really like. It's, it's tough to talk about it because, you know, like me and him were so close that whole time. I, I, I almost feel like I'm betraying him by saying these things, but... Well, but you, you know, know what, though? It's, it's, he, it's nothing that he wouldn't have told you himself. Exactly, right? exactly, yeah. And and you know what? If it serves as a cautionary tale to anybody else, then it's doing some good. You know, um, did you mention that you got mixed up a little bit in that, and then if you had subutex, then I, obviously you were using that to get off, right? To get yeah. off of it. And now, what about Chris? Did Chris ever get uh, hooked into that stuff? You know what? The fucked up thing is, he did, but he didn't have an addictive personality. He got fucked up in that shit when he started hearing shit about Tammy, like fucking other wrestlers and things. Like at the time, I didn't, I didn't notice it because she was always the sloppy mess. But I mean, at night he would like take you know a bunch of somas. He would shoot Nubay and he would do shit like that. I mean, he was shooting new bands, so it was steroids. I, I thought it was, like, normal. This is, like, me in high school, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, he was definitely, but when it was time for him to stop, like, let's say around early, late 2004, early 2005, when me and him had this conversation, and, you know, he was pretty much down and out, and, uh, you know, we were fucking, this, this is kind of what the fire under his ass. Me and him were sitting at TGI Fridays eating. And he's like, man, these fucking guys on the, it might have been after that Ricky Steamboat gimmick you were telling me about. Uh huh. Because he was like, he's like, these guys nowadays are the Indies, you know, they, they're fucking skinny or they're fucking fat. They have no gear. He's like, dude, when I, when I was 18, I was fucking going to Japan. I was already doing dark matches for WWF, for New York, you know. I was like, that's why you were a fucking standout, numb nuts. And I smacked him in the head. And he's like, man, I really fucked everything up. In hindsight, at the time, he was 32, 31. I'm fucking 37. I still feel like a kid. So, you, you know, but, mm. uh, so he's like, dude, fuck this. And he literally, at the time, he was taking somas and taking Vicodin. And he literally just fucking stopped. Mm. And I know that because I went to the same doctor he did. What era was but, this? Was this ECW or? What, what, when he was all fucked up? When he got off it. No, when he got off shit was like uh, two thousand, like late two thousand four, early two thousand five. Okay. Like before, like like he was clean for like the year and a half before he passed. What is the draw? Is it is it all about pain, Johnny? Is that why so many wrestlers are falling victim to this? I mean, there is a bit of a party lifestyle to it. I get that, but it's it's it's, it's about pain. It's also about like relaxation and getting some sleep and like. And it's also about blocking out whatever fucked up shit you have going on in your head. Like, you know, 
like I can say firsthand that I was well throughout high school I was pretty much living with my brother and Tammy because I saw what went on there and it was fucking it, it was insanity every night so you know Tammy would be just constantly wasting so much up my brother would be you know my brother he was always up going to the gym doing his thing then in the middle of the night he would get fucking so up and then I'd hear screams Johnny your brother's trying to kill himself I'd run downstairs she'd be he'd be passed out snoring like somebody just knocked him out she'd be raining punches down on his fucking face I'd try to push her away I'd wake him up he'd wake up say oh what the fuck she'd have knives in the fucking butcher block wait wait hold it she off. was she was punching him while he was asleep to wake him up oh my god that's just a regular Monday night. Like, dude, you have no idea. She she fucking get the phone, go lock herself in the car, be talking to somebody in the phone in the car. She'd break the fucking window in the car. She fucking run down the street. You'd be like, Johnny, can you chase her? I chase her. I'd be like, Ken, what's going on? She'd say, Tell your brother to get off that new vein shit. I'd be talking to her. Then I'd go back. He'd be fucking crying. Like, you know when like when when, when like I literally caught him fucking hanging himself one day. And I cut him down with fucking, uh, with hedge clippers. And it was the fucking, like, so I say that to say this. When people are like, oh, maybe Chris was into Tammy cheating on him. Maybe he liked that kind of shit. But dude, if he liked that kind of shit, he wouldn't be fucking trying to kill himself over it. And this is when he was like in his early 20s, you know what I mean? Like, Right. Because you did hear, because when I would like, ask people. CW kind of era. I would say to people, like, did, did. You know, how could Chris not have known? I mean, it's and people would allude to, you're right, people would allude to the fact that, listen, maybe that was their relationship. Maybe that was... Yeah, it wasn't. Right. Like, he like he had multiple chances to cheat on her, especially when he was like, like I said, like, you know, 04, 05, when he was like, his head kind of snapped into gear, when it was like, well, like, so we had a big incident in, in Boston. I don't know if I ever told you about this, but, um, so me and my brother would go to Boston to work for Sparta. You know, that guy, Mike Sparta, he used to run in Boston all the time. Yeah. It would be like, um, you know, they'd bring in my brother and like Billy Gunn or my brother, Brian Christopher, whoever. And, uh, and I remember, you know, fucking one night. So it would always, and I'd wrestle on the undercard, obviously. So it would be like, it would kind of be like me and his little vacation away from Tammy. And she'd always try to, like, finagle her way onto the fucking vacation, and <laughs> we wouldn't have it. One time, she threw a fit, so we're like, all right, fine, fuck it, come. So, we're in fucking Boston, and we have the show, and after the show, there's, like, a little a bar in the back for, like, the boys, and, like, a couple fans trickled in, whatever. So I'm at a table, like, me, my brother, Balls, Billy Gunn, Al Snow, whatever, and Tammy's at the bar, and she's fucking doing shots, and I see her fucking slap this guy across the face. Everybody sees it. And I'm the first one there, and I fucking grab the guy. Like, I'm gonna, we're going to go beat the shit out of him. We think he did something. He goes, dude, I swear to God, I didn't do anything. She just hold off and slap me out of nowhere. I, I, I promise. And, we, you know, we drag him out into the fucking alley. We're ready to put the fucking boots to him. I think my brother going, time to go, time to go. And Tammy's barfing in a fucking, uh, in a garbage can. There's fans for little camera phones taking fucking pictures of it. And, uh, so then she fucking passes out. We fucking pick her up, put her in the back of the car. She's passed out. Me and him are driving. So we're driving, we're driving, we're talking. He's like, man, I wish I had a couple somas for tonight. 
And mind you, so I smoked a lot of weed at the time. My brother didn't smoke weed. And Tammy, for some reason, detested weed. But uh, I'm like, bro, let's just smoke a joint. We'll fucking be fine. We'll fall asleep during the summers. So he's like, all right, that sounds good. All of a sudden, she wakes up out of this slumber, and she goes, smoke weed, motherfucker? You want to you wanna lose me, motherfuckers? And starts attacking the two of us. I'm like 19 at the time. This is like 2003. And she starts attacking both of us from the back seat. While you're driving. While you're driving. While I'm driving, in the rain, I'm fucked up. I was drinking all day. I took a bunch of Dilaudids. People were giving me pills. I'm fucking sewing up. Giving up on fucking 10 different things. Plus, I've been drinking. I'm in Massachusetts. No idea where I am. I'm fucking driving. I take the first exit, um, you know, off the fucking parkway. And uh, so I, I park. I'm like, bro, please deal with her. And I start walking away in the rain. All of a sudden, a fucking cop car, I see a cop car pull up to my car. And uh, I go running back. She jumps out of the car. And she goes, dude, these two are just on top of me beating me. Oh, no. I go, Yo, you crazy bitch. You, what the fuck are you talking about? And she takes a swing at me in front of the cops. The cops are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, put your hands behind your back. And I was like, yo, let me just take him back to the hotel. Everything will be fine. So I managed to calm the cop down, whatever. And uh, so we're driving back to the hotel. And my brother's like... You know, Tammy, what's wrong? What's your problem? Bam, she fucking hits him. Tammy, what's wrong? Bam, she fucking punches him again. He brings her into the hotel room, and they're like on the bed together. He holds her, he holds her arms down, and he's like, babe, please, what's wrong with you? And she fucking mirrors her foot back and kicks him right in the face. And I could just hear it. Oh. And I had enough. I grabbed him, and I pulled him out of the fucking hotel room. I closed the door, and we started fucking fighting. This is the only time we actually had a shoot fight. Uh, maybe the second time. We actually had, like, a shoot fight. I'm like, you're not going back in there. And we fucking were just, you know, knocking the fucking walls. We were fighting. I wouldn't let him go back in. I'm like, leave this. Finally, we, like, reached a stalemate where both of us were gassed out. I'm like, let's leave this bitch here and fucking go back home. Fuck her. He's like, oh, I owe it to her. I brought her into this business. You know, it's, I, I did this all to her, you know. And I'm like, all right, let's go in the car. Let's take a ride. So we ended up taking a ride, going to this dude's house in Quincy, that's a, a friend of a friend, getting some somas. And then when we get back, she's like, just hanging out, ordering room service. She's like, fucking dusting off the fucking countertops. She's like, hey guys. Fucking gives her brother a kiss, goes to kiss me. I'm like, don't fucking kiss me. Why was, why was, uh, this is all, uh, we have to say allegedly, right? For all this, I have to, if I'm going to be a responsible host, I have to say allegedly. Tammy's, gi- Tammy's given no indication of a violent or troubled history, so we have to say allegedly. Um, let me ask oh, you, though. Oh, okay, oh, do you mean that she had nothing? Oh, I, I, I know. Just it, was a, it was clearly a joke. Um, I, I have to ask, why? what was Chris's loyalty? I mean, he said to you, oh, I got her in the business, but was it that? Was it just he, he was... I, I mean, in lo- I think, is love enough? Is it just love? I think it was it was it was his first real girlfriend because what happened was this this just shows you that you know I, I don't want to make this seem like a Tammy bashing thing, but they uh, they met when they were seventeen, and my brother already had a date to the senior prom, and they were at the senior prom, and uh, my brother and his date, and Tammy rolled up in her car. Walked into my brother's senior prom and said, "If you don't leave your prom date right now, um, we're breaking up. I'm leaving you." So my brother left his fucking prom date and left with her, as she's laughing and there's other girls crying. 
and they never leave to see your phone. Like, that's the grip she had on him, you know? Like, she, I think it was just his first real love, and he just couldn't, couldn't get away from it, you know? And I think he would just, was just blind to the fact that she was doing other things, or just didn't want to believe it, or just didn't, like, when I, I've heard her shoot interviews in the past, I do my best to avoid them, but people would, like, send me links. Yes. And it's, you uh, you know, it's like, she was with him every fucking day. Like, we, you know, like, where did she have time to go and bang all these guys? Like, I like I almost don't understand. I mean, I do, but it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they were living like husband and wife. Well, I, and she... It was a very fucking dysfunctional relationship. She told us she was using McMahon's office at the arenas. He let her and Michaels use them. Uh, his like, like, hearing shit like that makes me fucking sick. Like, it, like it really does. Because I think about my brother, who, you know didn't fucking know, you know, or, or just didn't want to know. And But when he died, did she show any remorse? When she when he died, that I, I swear to God, I wanted to fucking kill her because we were at the hospital at the same time. So when we were at the hospital, when he was dying, I was banging on his chest, smacking him, you know, trying to get him back with it. And, uh, and the doctor's like, he's gone. And then she leaves the room and comes back. And she goes, eight. I go, what? She goes, eight. They gave me eight Xanax for this. That's all they gave me. I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, you're thinking about drugs right now? When, you know, he's laid out on a fucking, you know, on a, on a slab? Wow. Like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll never fucking forget that. Like, that just, like, killed me. Um, I have so, some yeah. question, questions from uh, Twitter. Um Jason Worthing says, who do you, if anyone, hold responsible for Chris's death, and did he ever have any conversations with Dixie following his death? Did he, did he talk to Dixie? No, did, did you, I guess. Um, I honestly, so his death was, I know we'll, we'll get into this more, but it was, uh, if you want to get into it, but he died of, the autopsy said acute pneumonia. Right. That's. I wanted to ask you. I've heard so many different things, and I heard Tammy say one time that he, it was from flying on a plane. And it... no. Well, all right. So, so what happened was he came back, and uh, I feel so fucking bad about this, but I, I called him. I'm like, dude, I'm gonna come over and see you. And he's like, all right. I'm like, are you all right? You just want to sleep? Like, I don't want to wake you up. Are you hurt? He's like, you can come by. I'm like, you know what? Just get some sleep. And then. Long story short, fucking, she gave him sleeping pills to make him fall asleep, which slowed, which, you know, slowed his breathing, and and then he was snoring and fell off the bed, like, in, like, a half-conscious state, and I don't know what happened, I don't know, because I wasn't there, obviously, at that time, I was there when he went to the hospital, but I wasn't there then, and then she called 911, finally, but she gave she pretty much, you know, I'm not going to say forced sleeping pills onto him because I wasn't there. Yeah, we weren't there, like, so I, we don't, you know, we don't know, obviously. But, but, but I mean, I, she, she did uh, admit it to, you know, to doing that. So I know that he wasn't supposed to take anything other than what was prescribed to him. And, you know, she was giving him sleeping pills when he was in like a, already a drowsy state from fucking surgery or whatever the fuck. Or, you know, Actually, he wasn't. I was talking to him, but I, I could see her just being like, you need sleep. It's because I've seen it a million times. 
But he had. Did he have? He had pneumonia. It was known to you that he had pneumonia. No, well, he, he didn't. He came back. Surgery was fine. Everything was cool. He flew back home. Went home. Was like, I'm gonna get some sleep. I talked to him on the phone that night. The next day, talked to him on the phone. Um, then I hear that he's in the hospital, so I rush there, and that's you know that's when I find him. You know. Mm. Fucking uh, like on it, literally on his deathbed, and just try to give him a, a, a go to revive him, you know. But yeah, the autopsy was acute pneumonia. The only thing in the system were sleeping pills, like over the counter guy. Like, what know, was the surgery? Pills. What was the surgery? It was he snapped his fucking. Uh, it was his leg, right? Yeah, it was his leg. So they had to put plates in his leg, and he was going to be out for a while. But they were still going to use him as the, you know. He could still like get up and like take bumps and shit. So they were just going to use him as the as the naturals uh, naturals manager and like their mouthpiece. So, you know that that's what he was going to do. But you know, like it was just a you know a whole series of events that like all the woulda coulda should is like you know before the, he went to TNA, we went up to, to WWE because they called him in for Raw. And he was going to have a dark match, and then the person for the dark match, I forget who it was, got scratched and didn't show up. They're like, John, do you want to wrestle him? And in my mom, like, oh my God, like, I just got into the business. I don't want to. My brother's like, yeah, dude, do it. Let's wrestle. Come on. And I, I was like, I don't want to be responsible for whether he gets a job or not. So I'm like, oh, I, I forgot my gear. You know, because I'd only been in the business for like a year or two, and just, uh, and I was young, I was scared. And then I feel bad because a year later, I work with Balls and Axel and, you know, got them jobs by putting them over. So maybe if I had put him over, it would have been the same fucking thing, you know? Mm. So I go I go back and, like, regret that shit, you know? But, yeah, the, the, the autopsy said acute pneumonia. Okay. That's what he died from. Um, question from Benny Douglas on Twitter says, uh, Johnny, would Chris still be in the business today? Uh, oh, yeah. what, where would he be and what would he be doing? I think he would definitely be an agent he would be like one of those like old school agents you know who uh, you know who would just be a pro wrestling purist and, and you know try to tell the story and you know guys just uh, you know have a finish and go out there and, and talk out the match and you know he, he was just his, his whole thing was, was pro wrestling lifting weights fitness he would he would never have left the business because I mean you know our family has connections all around New Jersey he could have gotten any number of careers, but he would never do it. He would never do anything but wrestling. Never right. did anything in his life other than wrestling. Well, when he was 14, uh, no, 12, 13, he worked as a locker boy at, at, at the beach, but he, he never wanted anything to do but wrestle. That's it. What's the best, so, be yeah, he, What's he, the best he, beach he, in New Jersey? He might have been working. His big plan was that I, that I progress as a wrestler, and he'd be like, oh, I did that classy Freddie Lassie. You know, and fucking like, ah, fucking yelling at people, you know, with a cane and rings and shit. <laughs> so, so, so that was his fucking plan for the two of us, you know. What's the best beach in New Jersey to go to? Um, It depends on what you want. If you're looking for, uh, like, like, a nice, chill spot, Spring Lake is the beach. We have the, there's, there's a bench, there's a Chris Candido bench at the South End Pool at Spring Lake Beach, uh -huh. where he used to work. Um, if you're looking for a party... You can always go to Belmar. There's there's DJs over there. 
that's a, that's a happening spot. It depends on what you like. Depends what, on if what? you want like chill and tranquil, or if you want like Guido's and like fist bumping music. Yeah, I was gonna say, what's the most Guido's per capita? Is it still Seaside? Uh, Seaside, Belmar, they're kind of they're, they're, they're kind of neck and neck, you know. But it was great, for, you know, growing up around here because it was so much fun riding your bikes and visiting parties. People, you know, don't even see you creep around. You you know, drink, fucking hook up with chicks. It was great growing up here. Fucking amazing, you know. I gotta say before we wrap up the the. Oh, I, I definitely got to tell you some funny ball stories before we wrap up. Oh, balls! I was actually going to mention something about balls. I, I let me just uh, say that, and you can definitely so, tell the stories. Wait, real, real quick, this is live. People are hearing us talk. Did I say again the question? No, they'll be they'll be hearing us uh, in a, in a couple of weeks. Oh, okay, I didn't know if there was like pre questions or people were like listening live. Um, okay. the the part of my book people most come up to me about or i see referenced in tweets and quotes is is the part about balls's son and the the he was the first thing i thought about when i heard about balls because i would see him at like the pws shows and and uh, and he'd be sitting backstage playing his like PlayStation or whatever, one of his little. I know he never gets off that fucking thing. <laughs> one of those little gimmicks and like waiting for dad, swinging his feet under the chair, and it was. I remember looking at it like, how fucking cool must that be, you know, to have dad at, like, all right, I got to go out to the ring. I'll be back in a little bit. Hang out back here with the boys, and yeah, then. I, I, know, I, I was in his spot when I was that age because right was with my brother in WWE with you know on on fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin's you know. He was fucking, you know, on his shoulders and hanging out with Bret Hart. So, yeah. and you know, it's actually funny what I saw the other day. I was looking at YouTube just to sidetrack. Um, I think I was in eighth grade, or uh, yeah, eighth grade because my buddies had a backyard wrestling federation when the Blue World Order came out from the Blue Meeting and all those guys. Yeah, and it was like me, my cousin, and a bunch of other people, and they're like, "Yo, we need you kids to to go out there holding BWO signs and go out to the ring on the pay per view." And uh, so, um, what do you call it? So all the guys are asking us. They're like, they're like, what does Diesel wear? We're like, I think, you think you were. So we had like a, a backyard wrestling federation. So we, in the back of the ECW arena, was another ring. So me and my buddies would go back there and, you know, take bumps and wrestle and shit like that. And so Stevie Richards and uh, Blue Meaning and Nova, we would let them just go through all our wrestling gear. They're like, all right, can we use these fingerless gloves to go out there? You guys care about where these bandanas? Like, they would, like, go through all our shit to, like, <laughs> get their gear up to snuff. And then when, uh, so when they came out, me and my cousin and a bunch of my best friends all came out with the BWO signs. And on live pay-per-view, I was 12 or 13, and I fucking, was a fucking fat little fucker. And I went to jump the rail with the BWO sign, and I fucking tripped and fucking fell right on my face. And it's on the, it's on the, uh, the DVD, the Rise and Fall BCW. Oh, but that's ECW's greatest moments. You can see me fucking fall on my face. But that's perfect for a BWO fan. That's perfect. It's pretty funny. But yeah, back back to John's son. He's uh, he's doing good. He's really fucking smart. He gets like straight A's in everything. Um, you know, I I taught him how to ride his bike. You know, me and me and John's other friend Dan. You know, we taught him how to ride a bike, how to ride a skateboard. Took him out to the water. Got him to bodyboards. You know, maybe along the line to get him surfing. I try to take him out like once every, you know, a, a couple times a month. You know, do some batting practice, teach him how to shoot some hoops. 
That's great, though. It's great. It's the perfect testament to John and Chris's friendship is having a Candido help raise the kid. It's just, I mean, it's beyond, it would be the end of a film if if you're making a film about Bowles or Chris. Yeah, you know, it really would be. And I feel like there's such a generation clash because, like, I think he's in sixth grade now. When I was in sixth grade, I was running around town, you know, creating ruckus with my friends, and he's so hung up on the damn phone. So I'm always like, give me your phone. We're hanging out. We're, we're, we're playing baseball. We're fucking playing basketball. Enough with the phone. Play sports. You know, I, I would take him I'd take him down to the gym, out and hit the, the, the heavy bag. I'll hold mitts for him. You know, one, two, three, duck, one, two. I teach him to do fucking combos. That's great. So, yeah, he's going to be good, you know. Another and po- a couple, when he gets a little bit older, it'll be easier to, to, to teach him how to, you know, box and wrestle and shit like that. But now I'm just trying to get his coordination up, you know, get his, you know, throwing better, catching better, you know, you know, shooting hoops and shit like that. So, but he's doing good. Daniel on Twitter asks, um, did Chris ever talk about what happened with him and Paul Heyman in ECW? Sonny wrote about Heyman leaving Chris and Sonny in debt. Um, he did, but he talked so much shit about, like, about everything that was going on. I really didn't pay attention to be honest. I mean, like okay. I said at the time, I was a teenager, so I really wasn't involved in, like, the business. Like, I I knew he was doing things he shouldn't. I wasn't quite sure of what it was, and I knew not to tell mom. You know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't know much else. What's your of, best uh, ball story? Uh, Give me the best ball story. Oh, my God. So, I was the NWA Midwest champion, right? So, I tell balls, I'm like, yo, I got you this booking with, uh, with NWA Midwest. And me and you were going to fly out together. He's like, oh, great, Chuck, great. So the night before we go, he's like, all right, I got 120 somas, 60 are for you, 60 are for me, but I'm going to only give you 10 now because I don't want you to take them all. So be here at 6 a.m., 6 a.m. I'm like, all right, I'll be here at 6. So 6 a.m., I fucking go to his house, open the door. I'm like, yo, John, John, John. And I look, I I can't fucking see him anywhere. Look in his room, he's not there. He's nowhere. I look in his mom's room. His mom's not here, by the way. But he's he's sleeping in his mother's bed with the covers up to his neck. And I'm like, John, yo, yo, what the fuck? Wake up. And he's fucking all sobered up. And he goes, ah, 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 ah. And he pulls the covers off, and now he's butt naked. And he stands up, sobered up, and he's going, ah, ah, ah. And he's trying to fucking touch me with one hand, and he's touching his nuts with the other. You know, and I'm like, ah. I'm like running around the bed trying to get the fuck away from him. So finally, I get away from him, get in my car, go to Sev. I get us uh, coffee and you know, fucking Mountain Dew, which is he drank. So I came back like 15 minutes later, he's dressed. He's like, JC, where were you? I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry, I came late. He totally didn't remember the whole running around naked thing. So, you know, listen to this. So one day... You know, I uh, I forgot to tell you the whole fucking ghost story thing. But so one day after the gym, though, we go over to Balls' house. He's like, "Oh, I." He's like, "He's like, you guys gotta stay for dinner. I'm making chicken mahoney." So what Balls would do when he would even get to his house is promptly strip, almost nude. He had these like smiley pants, boxer shorts that he always wore, with the wiener flap always open. So it was, you could always see like half his dick because he'd always just be like running around talking. And uh, so he had so here's the thing he had. A fucking gimmick, uh, a fucking pan full of oil on the uh, on the stove, and he had chicken cutlets, and he had his right hand 
and he would take chicken, put it in the egg, put it in the in the breading, take the hand off his balls, <laughs> put the chicken in the pan, and back on his nuts scratching. Chicken, egg, breading, off the balls, back into the pan. Oh, my God. Well, all right, everyone out there, you hungry? Huh? Yes. No, not, not anymore after watching that shit. Start dinner. Looking hilarious. Johnny, I can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, sharing your memories about uh, two of the, the, the two members of your family. Balls was like a member of your family. Oh, absolutely, man. That have uh, that have gone. Uh, anything you want to say to their fans? They still have. I got to say, anything I've ever heard about Chris from anyone in the business has been just great. Just that he was such a good guy. And sometimes when somebody dies, that happens. They change the story. But I'm telling you, no, nobody has ever said anything negative about Chris yeah, that I've ever talked I, to. I, you know what? I've, I've heard the same thing. And I'm, you know, I'm so happy he's remembered so fondly because he just loved this business so much. And it's, you know, just an honor for me to just, you know, to continue to keep his memory alive because that's what he would have wanted. I mean, who would have thought it would have been fucking 14 years almost since he's been gone it seems like yesterday you know and it's just so great like people still you know are, are buying his shirts all the time and I you know it, uh, it, it, you know it's, it's it's really great to have you know so much love from, from the people that you know really appreciated my brother so much you and, know why though I think the fans the fans can see when a worker has a genuine passion for the business. Not that they have fun and they enjoy performing in front of people. They love the business. They love the psychology. It's all they've ever wanted to do. It's not like half the roster now that want to be actors or whatever. He just wanted to be a wrestler and he loved it so much. And I think so many fans identified with it. When they saw a guy, a, a short guy like Chris, who loved it so much, it was almost like a part of them in the ring, even yeah. though half of them was 600 pounds and lived with their mom. But but in their heart, Chris was the heart of the wrestling fan, no? Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's all I ever cared about was wrestling. I mean, from day one. And, uh, yeah, he was just a pro wrestling purist. I just, uh, you know, I, I miss him like crazy. And I love telling stories about him. It was Johnny Candido, Chris Candido's Younger brother. Ten years younger. I didn't realize they were that uh, that separated. I reached out to Johnny on... I think I DM'd him on Twitter. Very randomly. When... After Balls Mahoney died. And I'd come to learn that he was helping take care of Balls' son Chris. Like we talked about on the uh, on the show there. And um, I just, I just, I reached out to him. I sent him a DM, and I just, I told him that we never met. I don't know if we talked. I know we did the jacket gimmick with with balls, but I don't think we'd ever talked. We might have exchanged uh, texts after that, and I thanked him for letting us use uh, Chris's jacket to put under Balls Mahoney's chair and scare the shit out of him. If you haven't seen that, that's worth that's worth buying the Balls Mahoney U shoot just for that. He brought out a Ouija board. And um, I moved the uh, little oracle thing to uh, to spell out chair or under chair or something like that. And while we were doing it, Damian Darling, who was on the set at the time, slipped Chris Candido's jacket under Balls' chair. Uh, it was a very distinctive jacket. It was, it was a leather kiss army jacket, so Balls would definitely have remembered it. 
And then uh, he looked under the chair and, and like wigged out and had to leave the room. Listen, it's not beyond me to use the dead, the tragically dead, young dead for a rib. Um, so I reached out to him and, and just exchanged some text. And then when I, it was time to write Father's Blood, my second book about fathers in wrestling, I wanted to, to follow up just a little bit on the chapter I'd had about ECW and Balls Mahoney's death in my first book, Kayfabe. I mean, people talked about it all the time. And it was my memory of of little Chris at the at the cards waiting for Dad backstage, and just when, when I heard Balls died, and I my mind immediately went to Chris, and I saw him sitting there, his legs dangling, not quite touching the floor, playing his handheld game. The boys walk by, joke with him. See, Dad's almost done. Hang in there, Chris. Well, Balls was out in the ring, and then he'd get done. He'd carry his dad's bag out. It's bigger than him. Could barely walk carrying it. And they'd leave. And I just thought it was so cool. Going to dad's match. Not even wanting to see it, though. He didn't watch any of the wrestling. He hung out in the back with the boys, played his video game. But I just thought immediately to him and what it must have been like. His balls died at home. His mother's home, or his mother was with them, I think. So I uh, I made it a point to reach out to Johnny and talk to him. I ultimately decided just to put a little update in the introduction of Father's Blood. I didn't necessarily want to, just because Chris's age, he's, you know, a boy, and uh, I didn't want to uh, expose any of what he's going through if it involved therapy or whatever. It just—I don't think it was fair to me to do that to him as a kid, and then him have to, you know, twenty years from now, read about it and realize the world had been reading about what his what his private grieving process was when he was a little boy. So um, he's fine. He's doing well. Johnny's kind of stepped in and become a bit of a father figure for him and it's just it's just great it's just great so i'm gonna uh i always try to hit a few of your tweets here promise i'll try to get through some of them so many um peter haas what got you hooked into wrestling was it an angle or a match i'll tell you exactly it was a big black and white tv over my friend timmy's house he had nine brothers and sisters and all the big boys used to watch this thing on saturday nights on channel nine at the time i believe it was vince mcmahon's wwf product and I saw Superstar Billy Graham on the big black and white TV. And he was cutting a promo. He was standing in front of the ring, cutting a promo, wearing those feather earrings. And I just, I was in awe. I was immediately captivated. This guy was reaching through the television. And it was very, I was very aware of it, that this was, this guy was special, if nothing else. And then they kept it on, obviously. And then I, I saw the, what was going on. And it was this these fights, but they, they looked kind of like I would fight with my friends when we played superhero, wink, wink. So I was, I was captivated and that was it. Superstar Billy Graham on a gigantic black and white TV channel nine. 
Grant Davis, what was it like shooting Scott Hall's You Shoot? Were there any issues after the Iron Sheik roast? No, I, uh, I, whenever I saw Scott for the first time after that, I probably joked with him and said, uh, you know, thanks for one of the uh, most viral moments of that year as far as wrestling when you attacked a comedian. And I guess we had a laugh about it. But no, the thing about Scott's You Shoot that was annoying as balls was he shows up, he sits down. Now, literally, the slate is in the frame to clap and be, and we begin talking. And he begins complaining about the money. Uh, yeah, just saying the envelope's a little light. So, well, you can thank your super agent, Eric Sims, who was nowhere to be found, by the way. Never when there's conflict will you find Eric Sims there handling talent. So I was, it was left to me to do that. So I said, listen, this, this is what your agent negotiated. So, well, make it quick. There's people in the lobby picking me up for sushi. Sushi. I said, Scott, I'll buy you a fucking tower of it. We, just sit here and let's do this thing. We did, and it was great. And it's listen, these guys are professionals. I, I mentioned it before, like when Brutus Beefcake walked in uh, after a very late night, I would suspect, uh, very early in the morning to the, to the uh, suite and the lights and the cameras. He went, oh, no, and he turned around and left. You know what? As soon as the red light went on, he had it. He has the performer's gene. All these old school guys have it. And you know what? Scott Hall for all's bitching and moaning and wanting to meet them in the lobby for his fucking sushi. The camera went on and you guys would have never known that he was being a pain in the balls because he delivered and that's fine. I'll take all the incessant whining and complaining and the making me feel bad because his agent uh, gave him a certain price and... I'll shoulder all of that burden if they give you a good show. I'll let Jamie Dundee kiss my face and maul me with his cigarette and weed breath if he gives you a good show because it's all about you. It's not about me. And that's what happened with the uh, with the Scott Hall shoot. It was fine. The, the show was fine. That's all that matters. Um... Jacob Walton, if you were offered any job for either AEW or WWE, what would you do on a heartbeat? What would it be? Nothing. I wouldn't do anything at a heartbeat. It would be a lot of discussion because they'd never use me the right way. What were they going to drag me out on the road? I got, I, you know, I got a life. What the fuck would I do for them? I hosted shoot interviews. I hosted reality. I brought the most guarded people in the world old school wrestlers and got them to open their hearts yeah we talked about pinfalls and blading but i got them to talk about their kids i got them to talk about being jilted i got them to talk about the things that made them cry i got them to talk about when their dreams got crushed i got them to talk about when they were kids i got them to talk about the kids that they don't see anymore i got them to talk about their trips to rehab and what their legacy is going to be and what their son or daughter will think of them when they see their next arrest or dwi in the newspaper that's what i do that's what i did you want me to stand there with a fucking microphone and ask somebody, who's going to win the title tonight? You're going to get revenge tonight? You're going to get revenge? You're going to win the cage match tonight? Good God. 
it would be such a misuse of what I would offer. The only thing I would ever do for any federation is exactly what I went to TNA when they came to me, actually, and what I proposed to them. I didn't want to do anything alone. I said, I got this company. And what we can do is we can bring a little reality to your product. We can bring the internet to your door. If we treat it with respect and we do some shit that's real. Forget about what WWE's doing. I did that whole presentation. They didn't bite. But whatever I did, it would, ha- it would have to be consistent with, with what I do. Not asking anybody if they're winning the title tonight. Not asking anybody, brother. Doesn't work for me, brother. I'm allowed to be difficult, aren't I? Everyone's been difficult to me. 12 years. Every fucking wrestler, agent, everybody I've had to deal with difficult. I want to be difficult. Now I'm the difficult one. Six books, a 19-month bestseller on Amazon, number one in the wrestling category. I'm going to be difficult now. Now I'm going to be difficult. All right, we got to wrap this up, guys. This has been a production of Sean Oliver Media 2019. Music by the great Kevin McLeod, licensed by the Creative Commons Attribution License. Listen, folks, come back next week. I have more for you. Got a little heated there at the end, didn't I? I'm going to get over it. Get over it and I'll be back with you next week. Ciao.